have you know I have the reflexes of a cat and the speed of a mongoose. Throw it. I dare ya. got to be asking yourself, what's the purpose of that? I don't have one. I, it, it, it was honestly, when I looked at this week's passage, what I'll be reading on, that was the first thing that came to my mind. There's probably something wrong with me. But I, I don't know if I'll reference it again or not. I may or may not. But what I'd love for you is, should you possibly, I mean, there's a chance, if you get bored during my message, what I would actually love for you to do is try and figure out why in the world that would have came to my mind while speaking this message or preparing for this message. Come up and tell me afterwards. I would, I would love that for you, actually. That'd be great. We're actually in week five of our current series, Won't Back Down. And in this series, the, the stuff that we're talking about, it really gets, it gets labeled uh, as crazy or strange or kind of kooky, if you will. But if we're all honest, um, no matter where we're at on kind of the faith spectrum, no faith at all or been following Jesus our whole lives, I, this idea that we've been speaking about, it's not as far-fetched as we try and make it out to be. Uh, there's, there's something that we know intrinsically in our hearts and, and what we see in the world that we just know things just aren't right. Uh, we see the evil, the injustice, the pain, the suffering in the world, and, and we just know that something's not right. We, we may not use the same words that we're going to use today or that we've been using throughout this series, but, but you know it. You felt it. Uh, you felt it in your own lives, and you've definitely seen it in the world, the struggle, the, the battle that's going on. This, this battle that we're in, this struggle for good and evil and right and wrong, it's, not, it's nothing new. We're not special in our, in our current time of living. In fact, the Apostle Paul spoke about it a long time ago. He happened to say it this way. He said, finally, this, this, this is, I say this for laughs because it's most important. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And, and so Paul, he... He says this way, that there's a powerful, there's an evil, there's a deceptive enemy against us. And at least according to Paul, uh, he, he names him the devil or Satan. You may, you may not call him that. It goes on to say that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, according to Paul and the other writers of Scripture, Jesus came. Jesus came to forgive you and to forgive us our violation of sin that has kept us separated from a holy God. Jesus came to redeem and restore and reconcile our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus came to usher in the love and the joy and the peace, the salvation, ultimately usher in God's kingdom. Jesus came for really one main purpose, and that was to save you and to save me and to give us life, life beyond what we could even imagine. But Satan is Jesus' chief enemy. 
Satan fights to spoil all that. Satan fights to continually do anything he can to hurt God, to oppose God however he can. Satan comes to prevent all the work of Jesus in your life and in mine and in the world. Satan has come to advance evil and hopelessness and injustice and hatred. Uh, Satan comes to fill all creation with despair, darkness, disease, and pain. And Satan comes ultimately to deceive you, to to lie to you and, and to destroy you and to take your life. As weird as it may sound, and you may have already kind of shut off from me because you think it sounds so weird, it, it, it is true that you have an enemy against you. You have an enemy that's attacking you. You have an enemy that is accusing you and who is constantly working to keep you from putting your hope and your trust and your faith in the only one who can come to bring you hope. He's working to steal your life. And if you put your faith in Jesus, he knows he's already lost the ultimate battle, but he can definitely do all that he can to try and steal the abundant life that Jesus has promised you today. If you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, man, he's coming hard to win your eternity. You see, we are in a battle daily. And so we must daily prepare for battle. But how do we prepare for battle? Well, that's what this series has really been all about. Paul goes on to list uh, the different pieces of the armor of God of how we, how we prepare for this battle. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. And then week two, we said, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That was my favorite message. That guy was really good looking. You should go watch it. Uh, week three, we, we talked about the breastplate of, right, breastplate of righteousness. Week four, last week. Andy Williams talked about our feet being fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then we have today, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I discovered something last week in a conversation that I was having with somebody. I actually discovered that I have imposter syndrome. I didn't know I had imposter syndrome. But thankfully we have the internet. The internet diagnosed me and now I know that I have imposter syndrome, and so hopefully I can get the help that I really need to move forward. And All joking aside, I really did look it up. Somebody mentioned in a conversation, I was like, hey, that kind of sounds like me. So I looked it up, and thanks to the Internet again, there's always a test. You can always take a test to find out if you have or do not have something. And, and apparently I have it. I took the test, and here, here's the score that I ended up with. 77 out of 100, I say that's well over 50%. I'm going to say that I have imposter syndrome. But here's what imposter syndrome is. You might connect with some of it. No matter what you manage to accomplish, you are unable to enjoy your success. You see yourself as an imposter and fear that eventually, especially if you make a mistake or fail, people will discover that you are actually incompetent. Now, that's a little heavy and rude, but I kind of, I, I guess I attested that. Uh, this could be related to a lack of confidence, a tendency to believe that success is due to factors that you cannot control, like luck or a fear that you will be unable to sustain and thus lose people's respect. You find it difficult, if not impossible, to take ownership of your achievements and experience a great deal of self-doubt and self-degradation. I don't know if that connects with any of you. It certainly connected with me. I read that and I thought, surely I scored wrong because I should have scored quite a bit higher because everything on that list I feel all the time. But I came across this, this little example that I think might help it out, a little diagram that kind of might show you how it works out in, in my life, maybe in yours as well. 
So for me, I get a new project, a new task, something's handed to me, a, a sermon, a Sunday morning that I'm going to preach or whatever. And I, I, I start with some excitement. I think, man, I, I can probably do this. I think I can do this. And then anxiety begins to well up in me. And then anxiety causes me to procrastinate. So I, I wait right up until the last minute to start to prepare for said thing that I have to do. And then I begin to over-prepare. I go way over the top to make sure that you know, people don't think that I'm an imposter, that I can actually do what I'm doing. And then the project is completed. Uh, I finish a sermon. I, I do something that, that was handed to me. And for a moment, I, I feel a brief sense of relief that I might have accomplished something. But then, then this realization comes of, man, I'm, I must have been lucky. Surely there was somebody else that could have done it better than me. Surely somebody could have preached a better sermon or done a better job on this certain things. And then this increase of self-doubt and anxiety, feeling like a fraud, this imposter syndrome begins to well up inside of me all until the next task, until the next thing comes up. Now, to be honest, I'm not actually sure if I have imposter syndrome. It's actually a real thing. It's diagnosable. You, you can actually have it. <laughs> uh, but I am sure that this is how the enemy works in my life. Uh, the way that this plays out in my life is preaching is, is one of the main ways of like, man, I... The, the, the accusations, the flaming arrows from the, from the accuser, hey, uh, they're going to find out. They're going to find out that you don't really know what you're doing. Like, they're going to find out that you, you aren't really as good at this as, you, as they think that you are. And one of these days you're going to fail. One of these days you're going to preach a pretty bad sermon and it's going to be all over for you. I cannot believe they actually call you a pastor. I mean, do they have any sense or idea of what your pastor, do they know what you did yesterday? Like if they knew what you did yesterday, there's no way that you could continue down this path and be one of their pastors. They let you lead people? <laughs> like you have staff, what are they thinking? Don't they, don't they know that you have no idea what you're doing and that eventually they're going to take all your staff and give them to somebody else because they're going to have to be under a better leader than you. I cannot believe that they think that you're a good father. Like what you show on social media, that's not who you really are. Don't they know the way you talk to your kids, the way you tear them down, the way you yell at them? And these are the flaming arrows of accusations that come at me. And they continue in a cycle over and over and over again until I just continue to feel like I'm, I'm an imposter. What, what you guys think of me is not who I really am. But you have to know that these are not from a father who loves me. These flaming arrows are from an enemy who hates me. How many of you... How many of you know what I'm talking about, have experienced this, can, it, can affirm that that same definition would, would work in your own life? The constant accusations, the whispers in your head, the shame and the guilt that you feel. And maybe for a moment you think, oh, it's just, my, it's just me. It's just in my own head. I can find, I can fight it. Or maybe you hear it from other people and you're like, yeah, that's actually pretty valid. I, I, I can see that. And, and it begins to work in your heart. They are actually all the flaming arrows of the accuser, and I have a prayer for us today. My prayer for us as a church is what uh, the prophet Isaiah had to say. He said that in the coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. You see, we are in a battle. We, we, we are constantly fighting against the voice of our accuser. And putting on the full armor of God... It's how we fight against it. But taking up the shield of faith is that final piece. But how do we take up the shield of faith? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to get to that in just a little bit. I want to take a moment and look a little bit more at the accuser and how we come to know that that's who he is and what he does. And we're going to read this. The Apostle John, later on in his life when things were about over for him, he had a vision 
Uh, he wrote down some of the things that he saw because he believed it would be helpful for us as a church moving forward. He said this in Revelation 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Now the, that, that word, the Greek word diablos, is actually translated multiple different ways. 35 different times in the New Testament alone. Sometimes devil, sometimes adversary, but this time in particular, accuser. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. So to let you know kind of from the beginning, by the power of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, he is ultimately defeated. Our accuser has been thrown down. He is done. The battle is over in the end, but that does not stop him does not stop him from trying to take your life today. It does not stop him from trying to keep you from experiencing all that God has in store for your life today. In fact, the way it works for him now is before you sin, before you fall into something like that, you hear the voice telling you, hey, it's no big deal. No one's going to find out. That the chances of somebody finding out is pretty small. Most people are already actually doing this anyway. And, and you work really hard. I mean, you're a good dad most of the time. You deserve it. And it's Probably just only going to be this one time. And then after you sin, after you fall into that, the voice that you hear then is the accusing voice saying, I can't believe you did it again. And don't, don't they know you're nothing really? I mean, you can't fight against this. After all of these times, over, how could God even really love you anyway? It, it's pretty obvious that you, you just ruined the rest of your life. You're pathetic. You see, when the, when the devil, when he talks to us about God, he lies to us. When the devil talks to you about you, he accuses. We're going to see that a little bit better, I hope, in, in a powerful text in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is in the Old Testament, the first half of our Bible. And one of the things I love about the Old Testament is, although the Old Testament was not written to us, it, it was written to the Hebrew people, eventually later known as the Jews. It was written to them. So they, they could know how to live for God. They could learn more about God. They, they, he gave them instructions on how they should live their lives. It was written for them to know that stuff. But it was also written for us. Written to them, written for us. Because now we have the opportunity to look back and see who God is. We, we, we can know more about his character. And that's what we use the Old Testament for. And the prophet Isaiah, he's actually going to tell a story out of this vision. And the kind of the setting of the vision is that he's in a courtroom, kind of think like law and order, or Judge Judy, whatever courtroom you want to think of. And God is the judge in this courtroom. And then Joshua, who was the high priest at the time, during that time, the high priest was considered the holiest of the most holy people. Uh, Joshua is in this vision as well. And he's the one on trial. He's the defendant. And Satan, the adversary, the accuser, he stands in opposition to Joshua as the prosecutor. You see, Satan is prosecuting Joshua and, and trying to prove that Joshua is guilty, that, that Joshua is sinful. And it appears for a moment in this vision that Satan has a case. You see, because Joshua stands before God in filthy, dirty clothes. And those filthy, dirty clothes, they represent his sin. And so Satan accuses Joshua trying to prove his sin. And this is what he says. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord in this text in the Old Testament, you see that used a lot. What it really is, is it's a representation of Jesus in the Old Testament. 
See, Jesus is before all time and will be for all time. He has been here and he was in the Old Testament. And these are the times that we see Christ in the Old Testament. Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And really what he's saying right there, of course this man is sinful, but has he not been saved? Has he not been pulled out of the fire? And now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Have you ever gone anywhere and felt underdressed? Showing up to a wedding in the wrong attire? Maybe, maybe you've had one of those dreams where you show up to school naked without your clothes on or whatever. I've had a dream oftentimes that I've come out to lead worship in booty shorts, and that's really uncomfortable. That's never really happened. I just wanted you to imagine me in booty shorts for a second. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. Imagine that, though. Imagine standing before holy creator God, the holy of holies, that holy God standing before him, filthy, in filthy clothes representing the sin that Joshua had. Imagine standing before holy creator God in clothes where all your sins are written all over. That he can see everything that you've ever done. And it's just standing right before him. And the shame and the guilt that you would feel in that moment. And imagine having Satan standing beside you. Accusing you in front of holy God. Look at him. Can't you, can't you see that he's a liar? Can't you see the way that he treats his kids? It's written all over him. Can't you... Can't you see the affair he had? Do you, do you remember the adultery? If not, it's written right here on his clothes. He couldn't even keep his marriage together. She couldn't even handle her finances enough. She had to claim bankruptcy. Do you remember all the times that he spent looking at porn and then showed up on Sunday morning acting like nothing went wrong? Do you remember that time? Do you remember that time that she got pregnant in high school and had that abortion? Do you remember? Because if not, it's right, it's right here in front of you. You can see it. And you stand before a holy God, dirty and ashamed and unworthy, all with your accuser standing, hurling shame and accusations at you. Well, you need to know that the devil is the accuser. It's what he does. But before we look at the rest of the story, let me remind you of the good news of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is our advocate. The Apostle John, who we read from earlier, he gave us that vision in Revelations. Well, he has another book called 1 John where he kind of wrote like a sermon or a letter to a church. And this is what he had to say about that. He said, my dear, my dear children, I am writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly, truly righteous. Jesus stands as our advocate. The devil hurls accusations at Joshua, but the angel of the Lord, Jesus, stands before God as his advocate. Jesus stands as your defense. He goes on in verse 4. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off Joshua's filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. I've taken, away, I've taken off your filthy clothes. I, I, I've removed that filth from you and I've clothed you in righteousness before God so that when God looks upon you, he doesn't see that anymore. I, I've blessed you with something that you did not, did not deserve, not because you're good, but because I'm good. Jesus stands as his advocate. Jesus stands as your advocate. 
And it, and it mirrors this story that Jesus told, in, and we read about it in Luke 15, of a son who had everything he could ever want. Uh, he lived with his father, and his father was wealthy, and he had all the best clothes, all the best food. He lived in a mansion. But at some point he realized he just didn't want to live there anymore. He wanted to try and figure it out on his own. So he asked his dad, he said, hey, dad, can I have my half? Just give me my half of everything. I'm going to go figure this thing out on my own. And so he leaves, and he goes into town, and he's doing all the drugs, and he's sleeping with women. He's got bottle service coming to the corner table at the bar. Like, he's doing it all. And this money is just hemorrhaging, just gone, until he realizes he's got nothing. Until eventually he's sitting at a pigsty eating his food with the pigs. It's the only way he can get any food. And he's covered in filth and dirt and mud and pig junk all over him, like whatever you could imagine, he is filthy. And he realizes for a moment, he's like, man, I remember my, my dad's servants, they had a place to sleep, they had three meals a day, they had all their needs taken care of, maybe I can go back to my father and just beg if I can be one of his servants. So eventually he picks himself out of the mud and with his head hung, he, he, he walks back home and but what he doesn't realize is that his dad's been standing at the edge of the road every single day waiting for him to come back. Every single day waiting for his son in filthy clothes to come back. The father is a representation of God. And the son is a representation of us. He stands and he waits for the son to come back. And as soon as he sees him crest that hill, he doesn't stand in point. He doesn't wait for him to get to him. No, he, he takes off running, laughing, full of joy, and wraps his arms around his son, never taking a moment to even think about the filth on him. Never, never taking a moment to be disgusted by how gross he must have been when he got there. And the father says, take these clothes off my son and put my best robe on him so that when I look at him, I see nothing but cleanliness. I see nothing but righteousness. The story goes on in verse 5 through 7. Then I said, the angel of the Lord said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. And just remember, this charge is not, hey, uh, you're kind of on probation for a little while. All the dirty stuff you did, all the terrible things you did. We, gotta, we kind of got to work our way back in. Like the son coming home to the father. It's not about, hey, uh, as long as you serve me for a certain period of time, maybe you can work your way back into my good graces. That's not what it is at all. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. The, the angel of the Lord ordered Remove the filthy clothes. T take that filth off of him. That is not what I see. Put clean garments on him. Put clean garments on him so that when my father looks down upon him, all he sees is cleanliness and righteousness. And then Joshua, return to the temple. Come right back into the service of the Lord. Continue serving God automatically, not after a period of probation and time to get it right. The father sees the son come home. He wraps clothes around him that are clean and automatically is back in the family. There is no time where he's got to try and work his way back in. The father wraps his arm around him and says, this is my son. 
And I don't, I don't really know who needs to hear this today. But if, you, if you're living under false accusations, if you're living under the idea or, or the thoughts or the, the whispers that you're not good enough, that you've failed too many times, that you've fallen too many times, that you've messed up, what you need to do today is receive and remember that you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, that as a follower of Jesus, God does not see that on you anymore. Even in the midst of your darkest days, even in the midst of your moment of falling, God does not see that on you. He sees Jesus. That's all he ever sees. Receive it. Live in it. Step out of that darkness and that sin and continue to serve Jesus right now. There's no, there's no like working your way back into anything. Receive the forgiveness again. Continue to serve Jesus, continue to love people and follow him the best that you can. All you have to do is take the step today. But this is really tough. How do, how do we know the difference? When we've done something that we shouldn't have done, when, when we commit a sin or, or we have a sense that, and we're not living the right life currently, it's super important for us to know how to distinguish the difference between Satan's accusations, the flaming arrows of Satan, and the Holy Spirit's loving Conviction. You see, accusations from the enemy, that they are only meant to drive us further away from God. The Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives is only meant to lead us to God. The accusation of the enemy wants you to feel guilt. It wants you to feel shame. It wants you to withdraw and move further away from God and hide. But the beautiful conviction of the Holy Spirit that takes up residence inside of you the moment that you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, that is meant to lead you to repentance and hope in the God that loves you. Satan accuses and wants you to walk away and feel guilty and experience regret and remorse and to experience it again and again and again, regardless of the space between the incident. Regardless of the space between you and the sin, he wants you to feel that remorse and the shame again. See, the Spirit convicts to draw you into the presence of a holy God and feel his grace. The Holy Spirit convicts and hopes that you might confess your sin. Confess your sin and know that God is faithful and just and will forgive your sin. The enemy accuses to push you away and the Holy Spirit convicts so that at one point you would know that in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation, that you could live that life. If you are a follower of Jesus... And you're being pierced by the flaming arrows of accusation. You need to take up the shield of faith. It's available for you. And we take up the shield of faith by standing firm on the promises of God. You see, the flaming arrow of the enemy is you're a failure. You should be ashamed of yourself. No, the promise of God is that I am righteous. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The flaming arrow of the enemy says, God is punishing you. Because of what you did, God is going to punish you. Know this, the promise that I stand on, my shield in front of me is that my father is good and that he gives me good gifts and that every attack from the evil one will fail. That what the devil meant for evil, God will use for good. That I consider it pure joy that whenever I face trials of many kinds, that those trials have to finish themselves so that I can find perseverance. And I continue to follow Jesus. That's the promise we stand on. The accusation of the enemy says, after what you did, after what you did, God not only won't come through, I don't even think he can come through. You're in big trouble. No, the promise, the promise of Jesus that stands before us as our shield and our faith is that we rejoice in the Lord always. 
we, we say it again that we rejoice that the Lord is near. And we won't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we present our requests to God and the peace of God. This is our promise, that the peace of God will transcend everything we can understand. And that that promise, that shield will guard my heart and my mind because of Christ Jesus. The enemy says, God isn't even there. And if he is there, trust me, he's disappointed. And he probably doesn't even love you. No, no, the shield of faith, the promise of God is that for I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons or any other powers nor height nor death or any other crea- anything else in creation will separate me from Christ Jesus. That's the promise we stand on. We stand on the promise that my God will never leave me, my God will never forsake me, and my God is for me. That's our promise. And we take up the shield of faith. We take up the shield of faith by standing on those promises of God. And these promises, these promises are the promises of God that are available for you. And if you put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and allowed him to be the leader of your life, then these and so many more, so many more that I could ever say on a Sunday morning are promises for you. And that's really our only next step for today. That's all I've got for you is is to stand on these promises. And so I I wanted to put a list of the the references that I just kind of spit out there for you guys. And I wanted to take a moment. This is your next step. Take a picture of it. Write them down. Try Try and find time to read them yourself this week. Because this is how, this is how we know how to stand on the promises of God and take up the shield of faith. When we do that. When we've taken up the shield of faith, we're also able to take hold of one more promise. It's kind of a hidden promise, a promise that I I hadn't really seen until I started preparing for this message. We've already read it today, and and you may not have seen it either, but here's, here's the promise. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It doesn't say take up the shield of faith so that you can catch some of the flaming arrows. And it's probably cool if you just get most of them, but one of them might hit you in the thigh, go all the way to the bone. It's in the bone. No, no, this is a promise. Like it, it, It's simple and, it, and it's, it's just four words that don't really have a dash between them, but I wanted to put it there to make an example of like this is the promise. You actually can. You have the ability, it's right in front of you, that through the power of Jesus, you have the ability to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to listen to the lies about your guilt anymore. You don't have to feel like an imposter. No, you are a child of the king. And no weapon, no weapon formed against you will prosper. This is actually one of the hardest things about preaching a message to, to two audiences, people that have faith in Jesus and, and hopefully a lot of people who don't in the room. But the truth is about all of this, what I've just said, these, these are the promises for people who have put their faith in Jesus. These promises are available to anyone who has asked Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. These and, and so many more. But... For those in the room who have not yet put your faith in Jesus, let me be honest with you as well. There are as many promises for you as well. 
They're all throughout Scripture as well. And one of my favorites is this one. I chose this one because it's from John as well. And we've been reading a lot from John today. It's in that same letter, sermon that he wrote called 1 John. This is what he has to say. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And here's your promise. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us. That's your promise. You have an accuser. You don't get to choose that. Uh, I'm sure you felt it, again, all the way back to the beginning. You may not have called it that. You may not really even really known how to put words to it, but you felt it. You've heard it. The flaming arrows of accusation, of shame and guilt in your life. And according to that promise, simply by confessing your sin and your need for a Savior, placing your faith in Jesus as that Savior, you automatically have an advocate that stands before you. In a heartbeat, you have a shield to block the flaming arrows in front of you. You have an advocate to stand before a holy God so that when God looks upon you in that moment, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. The devil might stand as an accuser saying, hey, I know I know what this person did, but Jesus stands as your advocate. And he says, hey, I, I know what the punk devil says about Noah. I, I know what that punk says about Matt. I, I, know, what, I know what he says about him. But that's, that may have been who they were, but that's not who they are. That may have been the, the filthy clothes they wore before, but now they are clothed in my righteousness. If we confess our sin, proclaim our need for a Savior, believe that Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection, in that he is our Savior, then he is faithful and just, and he will forgive, and he will purify you. Would you take hold of that promise today? Let me pray for us. If you're with us in the room or you're watching online and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, you can do it. Simply by repeating a little prayer after me, you can use whatever words you want. Just pray it in your heart, in your mind. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of that sin, I have a deep need for a Savior. And I believe Jesus to be that Savior. Jesus, would you forgive me? And Jesus, would you lead me for the rest of my life? God, you are gracious and you are good. And we stand on the promise that you give gifts, to, good gifts to those who love us, love you. And, and as much as that feels like we don't deserve and we're unworthy of that, God, would you just allow us the moment, allow us the grace to sit in that promise. God, as we walk out these doors, uh, the, there will be flaming arrows coming right at us. As we go throughout the week, they're going to come fervently. Would you stand as our shield? Would you, would you bring back to our memory the promises that you've given us so that we can block and extinguish those flames in our lives? Lord, help us to live more like you. Help us to live more for you in this world. We pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen.